Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our Spotlight on the Positive segment. And here's some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their communities. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Go get them, guys. Well, 2020 got one last shot in. For a year that made us all miserable, it gave us one last parting shot. Now Tom Brady has a seventh Super Bowl title, and Tampa Mayor Jane Castor can officially rename the city Tampa Bay. I never tempt fate by saying things can never get worse, but the only way next season could do it is if the Bucks traded Tom Brady to the Cleveland Browns and they won the Super Bowl. God forbid. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari here with you. Tonight, we're going to look back at Super Bowl Sunday and what did and did not happen. We're also going to remember the good and the bad times with some guys who know what that plane ride is like when uh, you've lost a Super Bowl and you're flying back home. So stay tuned, folks. we got a great show in store for you tonight. Bob, how are you, my friend? Hey, how about yourself? I tell you what, Bob, I know we were talking off air like we would typically do prior to the show getting started, but you guys up in New England, you guys can't catch a break. I mean, the winter, it seemed like it was going along all right, and then all of a sudden it has just hit you guys with the one-two over and over again. It seems like over at least the last month. Yeah, New England winters, Chris, uh, it's just a matter of, you know, are you going to spread the spread the bad weather out or are you going to get hit all at once? And when you get hit all at once, you dig out from one and get hit from another. And then you have these single-digit evenings, which is kind of encases everything in ice. Uh, it's a brutal time, and that's what it's going right now. You know, almost two feet of snow over the last 10 days probably in certain parts of New England. And uh, we're going into a seven-day stretch here of Arctic temperatures. And uh, it's really, you know, roads are being torn up. I mean, it's, it's this is what you don't read about uh, when you look at nice pictures of New England on Facebook and Twitter, and you don't read about, you know, roads getting torn up and uh, the brutalness that's involved. And uh, the last part of it, Chris, the brutalness is affecting my body right now because I've been shoveling nonstop <laughs> for two weeks. Here. So, uh, you know, give me a break, Mother Nature. I mean, she's been tough over the last year, but Chris, come on, you know, right? That's right. Give these guys a break, Mother Nature, all right? One time. Come on. Before we get started, I want to wish our good friend and former co-host Angelo Kane a very happy birthday. Ange, we hope you're having a fantastic day, brother, and uh, today is filled with a lot of things that become great memories for you. Say, Ange, you know, is a great friend, of course, and uh, it's also my mom's birthday today. I mean, she, as you know, she passed away in 07, Chris, and one of the things I regret in life is that nice people like yourself didn't have a chance to meet her. So, happy birthday up above, Mom. 
Happy birthday, indeed. And yeah, Bob, two of the great missed opportunities in my life uh, was the opportunity to uh, spend some time and meet uh, both your mom and your dad. I know uh, both folks, uh, they certainly raised a great son. And uh, so that's all the evidence you need that they were great parents and great people. So I sure do wish I would have had the opportunity to uh, to meet both of them. And certainly happy birthday, Mrs. Lazari, up in heaven. Bob, I want to start by getting a quick thought from you about the game on Sunday. We'll talk about TV ratings in a bit, and then later on with Tony, we'll get into more about the game itself. But I, I felt the officials got, got a little flag happy and called some ticky-tack penalties in the first half, allowed the Bucks to take that big lead before halftime. For the game, the Chiefs had 11 penalties for 120 yards, Bucks only four for 39. So a little one-sided. want to get your thoughts on what you saw. I think it was a very tiny factor, Chris. I mean, 11 penalties, say it was only seven or eight. Seven or eight is still too many penalties in a Super Bowl, and you probably don't deserve to win. But, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of overblown. I mean, the problem was with Kansas City, Chris, and I think I've been maintaining all year long. I think they have an average defense. You know, it was, you know, I mean, this is a team that leads in so many games and, and is forced to play a certain style of defense, but, in a tough game like that, you know, very Green Bay-ish, uh, New Orleans-ish, uh, you know, they'll, they'll give up what they have to. But the fact that, and I don't know if you could get these odds in Vegas. We were talking about the odds last week of certain things. But the Chiefs not scoring a touchdown, would anybody have even attempted to bet on that? Uh, that, to me, was amazing. Now, you know, I... I uh, I was on record of picking the Chiefs. I thought that the absence of their two tackles would be something that Andy Reid would work around. And, and that was what was shocking to me, Chris. They really didn't make adjustments to that. I mean, you know, quick hitters and, and things like that. Um, and give a give credit to Tampa Bay's secondary. That had partly to do it, but I still think Chiefs could have done a much better job um you know, handling the fact that they were going, you knew they were going to get pressured from the outside. They really, and even at halftime when they were down 21-6, still in the game for Kansas City, obviously, but they did not make the adjustments I thought that were necessary. And I, and, and amazing to me is that Arians outcoached Andy Reid big time in that game. Did not see a lot of this coming. I mean, it was shocking in many ways. You know, from a home step, 23 incompletions, in a game like that, um, and Mahomes, for all that he is good, and he's a great player, Chris, as we know, uh, one of the problems with him is when he is backpedaling, and I know he was not 100%, had toe surgery yesterday, Chris, uh, he did not look well. He looked gippy going into the game to me. But it, he also, when he backpedals, uh, you know, people say he's elusive in the pocket. He goes totally, totally vertical. So for him to uh, to make gainers on when he's going backwards it's never a good thing he's got to get into the habit of going side to side and doing kind of a russell wilson type thing but when he uh when he backpedals i mean he can go back 30 yards like it's nothing and then just to reach the line of scrimmage is tough but all this said chris give credit to todd bowles we've talked about guys like him in the past who are definitely coordinators and not head coaches but they do what they do very well uh, they, that, they stuck to the game plan. Let's put pressure on Mahomes, give Kelsey his numbers, and he got his numbers, which we all said, double digit receptions, but keep him in front of the goal line. And they did that. They did, they, they worked it to a T. 
Brady was good, not fabulous, but Brady did what he had to do. He didn't make mistakes. It was the Tampa defense that won the Super Bowl. And as you say all the time, Chris, defense will win championships. 100%. Could not agree more, my friend. All right, on to tonight's show. Our first guest is going to be former Steelers and Jaguars Pro Bowl tackle Leon Searcy. Leon's been a great friend of the show going all the way back to March 15th of 2012, so almost nine years now. Uh, we've been uh, meeting with Leon. Leon's a great guy, tells great stories. Uh, and if you're a fan of the ESPN 30 for 30 series, you're going to find Leon's in two of the episodes. One about his alma mater, the University of Miami. The U is the name of the, uh, that episode. And then the other one is, is uh, the episode titled Broke. So some up, up and downs, but the arrow is certainly pointing up for Leon right now. He's just written an autobiography titled Fourth Down and Damn. Really looking forward to catching up uh, with Leon tonight, Bob. Yeah, he was, uh, like you said, a good friend, Chris. He's joined us on the TV side up here in New England. And uh, every time we talk to him, you know, we learn a lot about the offensive line position. He's a guy that played eight years, very seldom missed a game, and uh, has some great stories to tell. So we're glad to have him back. Yes, we are. He'll join us uh, about 10 minutes from now. Following him, as always, Tony Collins will join us. We'll go back over our Super Bowl picks and and determine who won our prognostication championship. Bob, I may need a ruling from you. So uh, we'll talk through that when Tony joins us about 30 minutes from now. Later on in the hour, we're going to be joined by former Steelers safety Lee Flowers. Lee's going to be making his TNT debut with us tonight. Really looking forward to hearing about his college days right here in Atlanta at Georgia Tech, plus how he earned his way into the Steelers starting lineup in that 90s defense, Bob. So many of our great friends, right? Greg Lloyd, LeVon Kirkland, Chad Brown, Randy Fuller. Plus, you know, other greats like Woodson and, and Carnell Lake, we could go on and on. Uh, should be a really great segment with Lee tonight. And I, I know he's one of those guys that you love, Chris, a lifetime stealer. And uh, those are, there's a few of them, and, and they're all friends of the show. And uh, we're just great to have him. It'll be interesting to have him on for the first time. So there you have it, folks. Another great show on tap for you tonight. So as we always say, sit back, relax. Let us take your mind off everything else going on in your life for the next couple of hours. It's time for another edition of Bob's Take. So, Bob, tell us, what's on your mind tonight? All right, let's get into this week's edition of Bob's Take. And, Bob, I want to start by getting your thoughts on the ratings of this year's Super Bowl. This year's game was the lowest-rated Super Bowl since 1969. And, Bob, I, I would have thought with the you know, small number of fans that were allowed at the game and you know, everyone staying home, so fewer Super Bowl parties, this game would have been probably one of the highest-rated because more TV sets would have been on and tuned in, but it seems like it was the opposite. The audience, down 10% over last year, 20% over the 2015 game between the Patriots and the Seahawks. Your thoughts on why so many uh, fewer people watched? It was kind of mind-boggling, Chris, because you think people uh, are going to kind of stay home, and uh, it's hard to picture too many households that, you know, not viewing the Super Bowl when it's it's on. And that that doesn't matter what kind of interest you have in football. It's just it's more than a football game, as we talked about uh, ad nauseum over the years. It's, It's an event these days, but you know, they had about 20 million more viewers back about five, six years ago, and that's a big loss, you know. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, there's been, I've heard a lot of people talking about it, Chris. You know, I mean, I think, you know, the corona, the whole corona thing, I mean, it's turned people's lives upside down. I'm sure in ways it affect their viewerships of television shows. Um, uh, it, 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 to me, uh, other sports are down a little bit too, but, uh, I think the game itself, Chris, had a lot to do with the way it was played. Now, people were going to be tuned in when you have such great quarterbacks in a game like this, and so much was on the line, the old man versus the kid, and we can go on and on about the drama involved. But the way they figure out ratings in the Super Bowls, I was reading about the formula, they take the average of uh, each minute of the contest, you know, how many people are, are actually watching per minute, and then they take an average. So when you have a kind of a lopsided game as that was from halftime on, Obviously, there was a lot of people tuning away from it, and you could understand why. It was it was non-competitive for the entire second half, and I'm sure if that game, Chris, was a lot like what we thought it might be, maybe an overtime game, a two-point game, a one-possession to decide a game, uh, we would have saw those numbers jump way up. But I, I think the answer to what you asked me, it just lies in the way it was lopsided in the second half, which affected the average, which is how ratings are figured out. Next, Bob, I want to get your thoughts on Carson Wentz. We're sort of all on Carson Wentz watch right now. It's been speculated that he's going to be traded by the end of the week. Do you think that's the right thing for the Eagles and for Wentz? And if so, where do you think he might end up? I think Wentz needs to get out of Philly, Chris. Again, uh, how he's alienated some teammates, a lot of the fans, just the administration. I mean, they they just say it's it's irreversible from what I hear from a lot of people. So I mean, he, it's almost like he needs a a, a fresh start somewhere. Uh, I think the Eagles are just I, they thought this would happen a lot quicker than it is. The Eagles want a couple number one draft picks because I don't think they're going to get that, but they're holding out as long as they can, and that's why it hasn't happened yet. A lot of people thought this would happen before February hit. But, um, you know, the, the two teams that come to mind are t- two teams that are in desperate need of quarterbacks right now. When Indianapolis, when Rivers told us he wasn't coming back right away, you know, you got to think of the Colts with Frank Reich. You know, Reich has, uh, has, has some, definitely has some, uh, experience with guys like Wentz. Um, you know, Reich has had four quarterbacks in four years, Chris, and he's won with them. I mean, he's, he's, Frank Reich is very underrated as far as a quarterback developer. So, you know, maybe he can get he's the guy to get him back. Uh, I think the Colts want him. It's that they have to come to some agreement with Billy. You know, we don't want to give up what you want. So let's come to some middle ground. That's where they are right now. And the other and the other team, of course, is the Bears. You know, it's it's no longer Mitch Trubisky's job there. Uh, and this is it's a thing where Wentz, uh, a lot of people are saying that the Bears might have an in because they may have uh, a better deal to, to do or so, something. I mean, uh, but uh, they're in definite need of a quarterback. I just think it makes more sense for him to go to Indy and Reich. It seems to me like a better, I mean, it would be better for him himself. I think the Colts would be better off. So, uh, but yeah, I think he's going to get traded and I, and I can almost guarantee it's going to be to one of those teams. One more, Bob, and we've got our first guest, Leon Searcy, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Leon right on the other side of this. Um, but sticking with the quarterbacks potentially on the move, Bob, 
you think Sam Darnold is going to be a Jet come next season, or do you think uh, whichever one of these two teams, Colts, Bears, that doesn't end up with Wentz may end up with Darnold in a trade? That's a good point. I was just going to preface what I said, because whatever team might lose out on that Wentz sweepstakes, shall we call it, might end up with Darnold. Uh, from what we hear in the Jets camp, Chris, it's about 50-50, even with Salah, the new uh, coach, in place. It's about 50-50 whether they think Darnold's the man. Some half do and half don't. So what do you do? That's a tough thing for Salah to come into. You know, I don't know if it's going to be even his decision, man. You got to ask the offensive people. You got to ask the GMs. You got to ask the people that are, that are, uh, in charge of getting the personnel on here. Uh, but they have been fielding calls from teams interested. You know, I mean, definitely the Bears or the Colts, whoever loses out on that. And then you have some people are saying like teams like Washington, you know, with uh, Haskins having uh, worn worn out his welcome. Alex Smith, you know, the way he's been. I mean, he had, had his comeback year that we thought and everything. But, um, you know, Darnold is it, one of those places, you know, even the 49ers have come up. You know, is Garoppolo going to be the man? Do you think Darnold could do, be a, a a better guy with a guy like Shanahan mentoring him? A lot of possibilities, Chris, but I think the teams that we mentioned, Darnold might go if the Jets decide to let him go, but it's 50-50 right now. All right, folks, there you have it. That's this week's edition of Bob's Take. We've got our first guest, Leon Searcy, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Leon on the other side of this real quick station break. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. Now joining us and making his sixth appearance with us on the show is former Steelers and Jaguars Pro Bowl tackle Leon Searcy. Let me remind you about Leon's background. He's from Washington, D.C., played his college ball at the University of Miami, where he was a first-team All-American his senior year. He was a member of their 1987, 89, and 91 national championship teams. He was elected to the University of Miami Sports Hall of Fame in 2003. He was a first-round draft pick, the number 11 selection overall by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1992. Played in the league from 92 to 2002 for the Steelers, Jags, Ravens, and Dolphins. He was named to the Pro Bowl in 1999. He's an ESPN 30 for 30 sensation, having been featured in two of their episodes. And after his playing career, he spent a few seasons as the offensive line coach at Florida International University, as well as coaching youth football and some individual players as well. He's written an an autobiography titled Fourth Down and Damn, a lineman story. We're very excited. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Leon, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Leon. How you doing, Jim? It's been a long time. It has Great been a minute since we've had you on the show, Leon. Catch us up, my friend. What's going on with you? Oh, you know, right now, you know, I, I made my pilgrimage back to Jacksonville, and uh, I do a sports talk radio show, uh, flagship station for the Jaguars, uh, 1010XL, uh, from 12 to 3 o'clock. It's called Lunch with Leon. I do it Monday through Friday. Um um, so I've, you know, I've gotten myself settled in in Jacksonville. You know, I had to come back home, so to say, but I'm having a great time. You know, I've got my own cigar brand. And, uh, like you said, I've got my book, uh, Fourth Down the Damn Alignment Story. Uh, it's been, um, you know, it was number one on ha- Amazon's hot new releases, uh, football autobiography. So, uh, right now I'm, um, I'm, I'm setting my tour. 
uh, my book tour, the, 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 the tour of the, the, the country, and, you know, just tell some stories that are in the book and also stories that aren't in the book. I'm also in the works of doing the audio book, audio book next month for me and my co-author, uh, Mike Brodsky, who helped finalize my book. So uh, my book has been like a 10-year project, but I'm, I'm so excited of, uh, of the progress that, 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 that it's had. Leon, kind of wet our listeners' whistle for some of the stories that uh, they can look forward to, whether they read it or whether they listen to it on, uh, on tape or uh, online. How, you know, what are some of the really great stories that uh, you can kind of tease out? Well, you know, I always tell the great story about when I, my draft day in 1992. Uh, I tell the story about, um, you know, waking up in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't sleep, and my dad was uh, at the house, and he was cooking breakfast, and we had breakfast in the morning. And then my me and my father, about an hour later after we finished eating, we started walking the neighborhood to kind of remember where I came from, walked the neighborhood, uh, you know, went to my old high, old my old high school, my old middle school. Uh, it took us about two hours to get there, and then when we got back to the house about nine thirty, you know, this was back in the day when the draft was at noon. It's not at prime time like it is now, eight p.m. But the draft was at twelve o'clock, and we got back to the house about nine thirty. We get to the house, and we've got media people all in the front yard, you know, wanting to get an interview. And I was still a little bit concerned about where I was going to be drafted. I wasn't sure I was going to be a first round pick, and it. A lot of media people want to ask me questions and stuff like that. So uh, I remember walking through there saying no interviews or whatever, but there was one particular guy uh, who was in the lawn at the particular, uh, my dad knew because he used to come through the airport because he used to travel, uh, the late, great uh, Stuart Scott. So my dad talked to Stuart Scott and he said, uh, I told Stuart Scott, you know, when I get drafted, you know, you'll be the first guy, you know, that comes to my house and interviews me. So we get there, uh, we're at the house. About 10.30, and I get a phone call, and it's from Jimmy Johnson. I knew exactly who it was when I picked up the phone. He was like, Leon, how you doing? I said, I'm doing great, Coach. He said, how you feel about being a Dallas Cowboy? I said, Coach, I'm good. And typical Jimmy Johnson, he asked me, hey, Leon, are you not going to hold out, are you? I said, no, nah, Coach, if the money is right, I'll be there. He said, well, you know what? we got a representative that landed in Orlando. He'll be at your house in 30 minutes. He said, you're going to be a Dallas Cowboy. I said, okay, I'm fine with it. So I'm sitting there by 11 o'clock. The draft comes on at 12. And then a um, couple of picks go through or whatever. And then this guy comes in, rings the doorbell, comes in my house, big burly white guy with a cowboy hat, cowboy boots, and he's got a jersey over his shoulder. He goes in my kitchen, gets a beer, doesn't even ask for it, goes downstairs in the den. He's back there with my agent negotiating my contract. So I'm sitting there, and I'm comfortable because, you know, I think I'm going to be a Dallas Cowboy. And about the eighth pick in the draft, I get a phone call, and it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bill Cowell says, Leon. He said, how you feeling? I said, I'm feeling great, Coach. He said, well, we got the 11th pick in the draft. He's going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. And I was like, okay, I'm a little confused right now because Cal was in my house, but the Steelers said they're going to draft me 11th pick. So 11th pick comes up, call my name. Family goes crazy, go wild. Everybody, you know, celebrating. Mom, dad hugging me, crying or whatever. So the, I, I look back and with my agent, the Dallas Cowboy guy, tears up the contract, but he's about to walk out the, the den. And I see he has this Dallas Cowboy jersey that says Cersei on the back. So I asked the guy, I said, hey, man, before you leave, you know, let me get that jersey. And he turns around to me. He says, listen here, son. He said, you're, you're a stealer now. He said, a cowboy never give a stealer nothing. He walked out my house. <laughs> that's, that's one of the stories in the book. That's one of the stories in my book. That's fantastic. So, Leon, 
you know, when you join the Steelers, I mean, you're going to, you're in camp and you're going to be going at practice against, you know, I mean, the Greg Lloyd and LaVon Kirkland, Chad Brown, all great friends of the show like you. Um, but those 90 Steelers defenses were some of the best ever. What was, was practice harder than playing in the game on Sunday? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can remember being on the sidelines and watching those guys play because, you know, that's what the, the whole premise and the concept of Blitzburg was established in the, uh, you know, the mid-90s because, like you said, I mean, we had Greg Lloyd, we had Lamar Kirkland, we had Chad Brown, we had Kevin Green, uh, and they brought, they brought the house. And, you know, the late, great Kevin Green, who's a brother to me, who passed away actually on my birthday, it sad me, hurt my heart, broke my heart. Because Kevin Green actually helped develop me into an offensive lineman that I was because I had to go up against him every day in practice. And, you know, with his speed, his endurance, his physicality, his use of his hands, you know, helped me as an offensive lineman So because I had to go up against him every day in practice. So uh, it saddened me when I heard the news because I actually heard the news from a teammate of mine, Brinson Buckner. I was actually on Facebook. I was actually celebrating my birthday, December 21st. And Brinson Buckner hit me on Facebook and said, hey, man, you know, Kevin Green died. He passed away. He had a heart attack. He died in his son's arms. And I shed a tear because, you know, Kevin Green was like a brother to me because uh, we had this we had this long-lasting friendship. He actually, he actually mentioned me, you know, during his Hall of Fame speech. Um, so, you know, I attribute a lot of my success as an offensive lineman having to go up against him every day in practice. So it really hurt my heart when I heard that Kevin Green passed away. But you know, those Steeler teams that I played on were some of the best times and some of the best times of my life as a football player. And unfortunately, Leon, um, Kevin wasn't the only great player from those Steelers teams that we lost this year. Tim Lester uh, passed away not long yes, ago Tim, as well. Yes, Tim Lester passed away. Yes, I was a good friend of Tim Lester as well. Uh, it saddened me to see him pass away, too. You know, it's just it's just so sad because, you know, they died so young. And, right. you know, it's, it's always it's always heart wrenching when you, you know, a guy, you know, I, you know, I'm 50 years old now. And you, you hear guys like Kevin Green passed away, who was, what, 55. And Tim Lester was, you know, maybe 49 or 50 himself. So anytime guys, uh, you know, pass away so early, man, it just, you know, it puts your mortality in check and just makes you appreciate each and every day that you wake up in the morning. Let's talk about something a little happier. Um, your Miami Hurricanes are back to being a, a pretty formidable program again. Finished eight and three this past season, got back inside the top twenty-five. What are your thoughts about uh, their head coach Manny Diaz, and what are your expectations from your uh, your Hurricanes next season? Well, I mean, listen, the Hurricanes right now are average football team. You know, a lot of people tell me to lower the bar because you know Miami can't acquire. The- uh, the championship pedigree that we were uh, when I played. And I said, the hell with that. I said, the Alabamas do it. Ohio State's do it. The Clemson's do it. I mean, I don't want to hear about the University of Miami being back until each year, year in, year out. They're competing for championships, and right now they're not there. Now, they're making progress. You know, 8-3 and three is a lot better than 6-7. and seven. You know, 6-7, and seven, I mean, you lose games to uh, Duke. FIU and, and La Tech, and you know, and, and um, you know, uh, Manny Diaz uh, behind was on the fryer when that happened when they lost those games three games in a row, and you know he did an adequate time job this year, 
and I'm going to be hard on them because, you know, um, I mean, that's the house that I helped build. And right now, you know, Manny Diaz is uh, as a tenant. He, he's got to pay rent. And until he starts winning the way we were winning, um, I'm always going to be, it's always going to be suspect to what kind of job he's doing as a head coach. Bob, questions for Leon? Leon, it's always a pleasure to have you back and welcome back. And uh, I, I want to get back to your your incorporation into the uh, the Steelers organization. You know, Tim, we we were, we had just talked about uh, that defense, Leon, and how good it was. And uh, I always thought the offensive lines back then didn't get enough credit because the defenses were so good. You know, you, yourself, Hasselrig, Love, these guys were very very talented players. Love had been in the league a while before uh, he got to Pittsburgh. And, and uh, these guys really went under the radar screen. But uh, they were there when you got there in your rookie year. Did either of those two guys kind of take you under their wing and, and maybe some other guys in that team that made your rookie year more comfortable? Well, I mean, I think the best thing for me is when I came in as a rookie, um, um, uh, you know, I, I, I came in when I signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I signed a four year deal, $4 million, $1.5 million to sign. That was my contract. And I was automatically the third highest paid offensive, that was the third highest player on the team. And I remember walking in the locker room, you know, after I had signed and I remember walking up to Tunch Ilkin, who was like a 13, 14 year pro at that particular time. He asked me, he said, okay, he said, okay, Rook, you got paid now. He said, "Now what?" He said, "You in this for the long? You in this for the short term or the long term?" I said, "I'm in this for the long term." He said, "Well, what I need you to do is do whatever I say," and that's what I did. I mean, Tunch Ilkin was my mentor, as well as Damani Dawson, Duvall Love, John Jackson, Colton Hasterick. I had veteran leadership in front of me, so whatever they did professionally, you know, I followed. I followed suit. I put my ego aside. I know it was a first round pick. But I knew I wanted to be in there for the long run. So whatever they told me to do professionally as far as weightlifting, getting up early, eating right, getting sleep, uh, watching film, um, taking notes, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, that, that was entrenched in me early on that allowed me to carry that on for an 11-year career. So, I mean, I think those guys to this day, and when I talk to them, I think them to this day because, I wouldn't have had the profound career that I had as an offensive lineman if I didn't have the veteran leadership in the locker room that I had with Still. You mentioned about taking care of yourself, Leon. Uh, I always like to talk to our former players about their off-season regimen. So take me back during your career about the first, second week of February. You're still kind of fresh off the season. Uh, what would your first few weeks be like after the season, and, and when would you still, uh, when would you start working out again, and et cetera, and, and the rest of the way up until training camp? Well, I was fortunate enough throughout my career that you know I never missed the playoffs. I made the playoffs mm -hmm. every every year that I played as. So usually, when if we were, you know, usually we were our season was over uh, somewhere maybe uh, early January, mid January, or even in the Super Bowl when we played Super Bowl Thirty. Uh, that game was January 25th. So I usually took a, maybe a couple of weeks off to relax, spend some time with the family. Uh, but then I was back on the grind. I was back, you know, uh, hitting the pavement, you know, running, conditioning, 
uh, doing all the stuff, eating right. Um, so I mean, uh, I didn't really take that much time off because I know the NFL is so competitive, and I always gave myself a competitive edge because I always said to myself that who are, whoever I'm going up against uh, that next season, I always said to myself, he's sleep, he's comfortable. So I always used to get up early in the morning, get my work, my road work in, get my heel work in, and hit the treadmill, hit the weights, and then you know I, you know I had a regimen of, of my diet, and I worked my techniques and fundamentals and like that. So I really, to be quite honest with you, probably like a lot of these kids today. I mean, you don't really have an off season, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, at most you might have a week off, two weeks off, maybe even three weeks off, but you're right back to work because the NFL is so competitive. And you always want to keep that edge uh, as a player. And the, the ones that last the longest are the ones that uh, are due diligent when it comes to staying in the best possible condition that they can. Leon, you, you mentioned perhaps the most painful memory. I'm a huge Steelers fan from Pittsburgh. And the most painful memory, the most painful game I ever watched was Super Bowl Thirty, And... Every time, every year around this time, we get reminded of it because they replay all the highlights from all the Super Bowl games. But 25 years later, I wanted to get your thoughts about the game and if you ever talked to Neil O'Donnell about what happened. Uh, no, I, I've never talked to Neil O'Donnell about what happened. I, I think that uh, as much as those two interceptions hurt us in the game, I think also maybe the first quarter and a half hurt us just as much because we started off slow. I mean, the Cowboys played like they, they had been there before, like they had been there before. And we played like we had just gotten there. And that's why it took us so long to get jump started. And before you know it, we were down 10 to nothing, you know, going, you know, going into the half. Um, so I think if, if we had started, if we had to stick to our game plan, which was running the ball, protecting well, play action, Take your shots down the field. Uh, I think the I think the transition of winning the game would have been a lot smoother for us if we had started the way we kind of finished. I mean, I, I know we finished with throwing an interception, but I mean, we had the Cowboys on their heels uh, towards the middle of the third quarter and towards the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, but um, we just started too late. I think that if we had played the way we played, maybe in the second half. I think the game would have been a wash uh, because we controlled the, we controlled the clock, we ran the ball, we took our shots down the field, and our defense was outstanding. Uh, we just put we put our defense in a predicament because we we gave their offense a short field with the interceptions. And you know when you've got the we got Aikman and you've got Emmitt and you got Michael Irvin, you know if you give them a short field, I mean they're going to dissect you no matter what team you're playing against. So we did our defense service by those two interceptions. I think if we had to play it a lot better offensively, it started a little faster offensively, you know, we would have put we would have never put our defense in that predicament where they had to they had to defend the short field. Leon, your offensive coordinator there was Ron Earhart, a guy who was an offensive coordinator and a head coach for the Patriots back in the late seventies, early eighties. But uh a guy we don't get to hear an awful lot about as uh his contribution to the Steelers and that coaching staff. Talk about what Coach Earhart did for you guys. Well, what, what, what Coach Earhart did is um, he was a he was a run based coordinator. I, I remember being in the offensive coordinator room with the offensive line with the whole offense in there, 
And what he wanted, what he essentially wanted to do is he wanted the offensive line to get their groove on, so to say. So he would give us like our top 10 plays. And out of those 10 plays, at least seven to eight of them were run plays. So he would always ask us, what you like? Okay, we want trap. We want zone. Uh, we want counter. Uh, we want dive play. So he wanted, he always wanted his offensive line to get, because if you ask any offensive lineman, you know, he would rather run block than pass protect. So they were, the, our first 10 plays were always, uh, at least seven to eight of those plays were run plays to get the offensive line juices going. So it would be traps, it would be counters, it would be toss cracks, it would be dive plays, you know, so we can get after, get after the defense. So um, I always respected Ron Everhart for that, that part because he knew what kind of offense. We had a big physical offensive line that could run and pull and trap and all that kind of stuff. So he would always essentially give us our plays, kind of get us, get us in the groove. Uh, he wasn't concerned about the pass play because he knew that if he ran the ball effectively, that would essentially sub the pass play and the play action. So we always be in the meeting room and ask the offensive line, what plays do we like? And we would essentially tell them, you know, what plays that we felt that would be more effective. So there were always plays that we would always be able to get after the defense with. And obviously, Leon, you played all those years in Pittsburgh with Bill Cower, maybe the most animated head coach ever. Um, your thoughts, what was it like being, uh, being on the sidelines and in the, in, in practice with Bill Cower? And what's your favorite Cower story? Well, the one thing with Bill, I mean, he, he gets, I mean, uh, when he gets going, you know, uh, you might have to wear a raincoat around him because, you know, that the spirit is flying <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, that's for one. That's for one. But two, but two, uh, Coach Cower, I love Coach Cower. I mean, Coach Cower is probably my second favorite coach I've ever been coached at all time. Jimmy Johnson being my first, but Bill Coward was, uh, he was a player's coach. He was hard, but fair, you know, uh, he understood the morale of, uh, he was the type of coach that you will run, you will run into a brick wall for because he was, he was as passionate and loved the game as fo football as much as we did. Uh, so it, it, that, there's, there's, there's a reason why we had so much success when he was there as a head coach because we love playing for him. Absolutely love playing for him. And, you know, I've got a special uh, keynote towards Coach Coward because, you know, hell, I was his first pick ever as a head coach uh, in 1992. Um, so uh, I love Bill Coward. I loved everything about Bill Coward. Bob, one more for Leon before we let him go. And I just want to say on that coaching stuff, Leon, I mean, you ended your career playing for Coughlin quite a lot of success up here in the New York area, obviously kind of a more offensive type of guy, but compare and contrast him and Cower as coaches. Um, similar sort of say, uh, both of them had a love and a passion for football. Both were, both guys were a stickler on discipline and doing the right things. Both were a stickler on accountability. Uh, both were a stickler on being professional. And um, they were both love and very passionate about the game of football. I mean, I, you know what? I, I look back at my career and I think about how blessed I was as a player to have been coached by Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, Bill Cower, Tom Coughlin. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about three out of the four are going to be in the Hall. I mean, two. I mean, Jimmy and Bill are already in the Hall of Fame. 
Tom Coughlin is going to be next. So, I mean, shoot, three out of four of the coaches that coached me in my career are Hall of Famers. They don't get no better than that. Leon, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can listen to your radio show, get some of your cigars, and then also get your book. Okay, well, my radio show is uh, it's, uh, Tintin XL. Uh, you can go to TintinXL.com. Uh, the radio show is called XL Prime Time uh, Lunch with Leon uh, from from twelve to three o'clock. It's the flagship station of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, my cigar brand is uh, I have my own cigar called Leon Cersei All Pro Series Cigar. You can actually uh, get the cigar at HowardGCigars.com. Also, we we did a cigar for Ike Taylor who's a time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He has a cigar out called One of a Kind. So he's a part of the All-Pro brand. And you can go get my book, Fourth Down and Damn, A Lyman Story, uh, at Amazon. Uh, you can download uh, on Kindle, or you can buy the paperback. And, Leon, how can our listeners follow you on social media as well? On social media, you can go, uh, you can go to uh, Twitter. I'm on Cersei underscore Leon. You can go to uh, Instagram. I'm uh, L L Cersei Jr. And Facebook, you can go. You can look uh, look me up at Leon Cersei Jr. Well, Leon, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. It's great catching up with you. We hope you uh, come back it. and join us again soon. I appreciate it. Don't don't make this the last time. Absolutely not. Wouldn't think of it. Leon, stay, well, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Thank you very much. You as well. Take care. See you, Leon. That's a great Leon Searcy, folks. Bob, um, a guy that was a tremendous player, and I always hate the fact that uh, he didn't finish his career as a Steeler, and we've talked to him in the past, and it didn't really end well between he and the Steelers. I think there were some you know, not so great communications that I think both sides uh, regret now, but uh, what a tremendous player and what a great guy. Got some great memories. Like you said, playing for some great coaches, uh, man, that probably made him such a great, such a better player. And uh, again, I love the name of his, uh, his show, Chris, Lunch with Leon. And a guy his size, those must be very good lunches, right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> There's a reason why there's an XL on that. <laughs> but uh yeah, always a pleasure having Leon either on TV or radio. Great. All right, we've got our next guest, Tony Collins, hanging on the line. We're gonna get to Tony on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear NFL legends, players, coaches, and media members from around the country sharing their insights and stories with us year-round. Here on Thursday night, tailgate, 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 tail, 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 tailgate. All right, back with us now here on Thursday night. Tailgate is former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Hey, Tony, how are you, my friend? Hi, Tony. Doing fantastic. How you doing, Chris Bob? We're good, good, Tony. Well, Tony, you and I were both right <laughs> this past Sunday, picking the Bucks. Bob picked the Chiefs at the beginning of the season, stuck with his guns all year long, and uh, he picked them to win it. And unfortunately, I admire the loyalty, Bob. Even in the Ran face of, of the Brady juggernaut, yeah. you you held tight. <laughs> so Tony not only did uh, were we both right in picking the Bucks, we were both right in picking the amount of points they'd score. They scored thirty-one. Yeah. We were both right on that. Um, 
But uh, I, we both thought the Chiefs would do a much better job offensively. I had them scoring 27. You had them scoring 23. Of course, they only, they only got nine. Now, Tony, I hear Donald Trump also wagered on the game and had it closer to what my score was, and he's currently lobbying Florida's Governor DeSantis to find more points for the Chiefs. So I think we have to wait to determine who the winner is of our prognostication championship. It might be too early to tell, too early to call, because you might find some more points somewhere for the Chiefs. So I'm, I'm hoping for that, my friend. That's too funny, man. That's too funny. You know what? I I I I I never thought. I I knew. Whenever you get into a championship game, defense always wins championships. And and, and uh, Tampa Bay, man, I, I knew. Kansas was going to be hurting with the two offensive tackles not being being able to play. I never knew they would be able to shut Mahomes out. Why they shut him out? That means this guy did not throw a touchdown pass the whole game. And I don't know if that's right. been done for for him forever. <laughs> so, right. You know, Brady Brady deserves to get MVP, but that defense that defense won that game. Man, without a doubt. Yeah, no, and Bob was saying that at the top of the show. So, um, so congratulations, my friend. Uh, it, it was close, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and concede the title to you. But I'm not convinced, Bob. I might need a little help. I'm not convinced that Tony didn't have someone videotaping no, but, my preparation. But, but, you know how patriots are you know with videotaping stuff. <laughs> but, but, but you know, but you know what, Chris? You know what, Chris? I'm such a gentleman. I would, I would split. The, the championship with you, man. And you, you just got to make two trophies. I, I want my trophy. <laughs> I want my you want trophy. your trophy, make no mistake. But you'll let me have one, too? I want too. my trophy. <laughs> but you can have one, too. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, Tony. That's very thoughtful of you, my friend. That's a, you're, you are a gentleman. Good for you. Uh, Tony, I want to get your thoughts sort of on the, on the way too early look ahead to next season because you know, I, I don't, I don't know about you, Tone, but you know, obviously we, the whole Brady juggernaut thing, and you know, ten champions, you know, going to ten Super Bowls in twenty years, seven championships, the whole nine. But I, I'm not sure there's any reason to pick against them. I mean, who knows injuries and what you know, some free agency and stuff, what happens in the off season. But I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't favor them next season, at least in the NFC, to get back to another Super Bowl. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, 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 I would think the same thing. If they keep their team intact just like they are right now, keep those players and add more players to it, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that they should go back, you know, because, man, you know, uh, if you look at Brady, you know, 43 years old and doing what he did. Yeah, I mean, he, he played a great game. I mean, he really did. Um, and so, but it's not just his playing ability now. Is what he brings to the team. He brings that winning attitude, something that uh, Raymond Barry brought to to New England when I was there. And so now, these guys believe in him. When Brady comes back to play again next year, if they keep them them same players on defense and keep that same attack that they have on offense, I don't know who can beat them. I mean, they they're, they probably won't go undefeated, but. They'll be back again in the Super Bowl without a, without a doubt. And if Brady gets the Super Bowl again, he's gonna win it again. I don't care who he plays. I mean, I, it's, and it's it's crazy, but it's it's. I, I just think that's how it's gonna be. Yeah, and and I don't disagree, Bob. I what what are your thoughts? You know, as, as you look ahead to 
next season. I mean, again, we don't know. There's going to be some shuffling of players around in free agency. It happens all the time. We know that's going to be a factor. Taking injuries off the table because you can never predict that. But knowing as, as much as we can possibly know this far in advance, and again, it is the way too early predictions for 2021. But as you look into the future, your thoughts on somebody else, is it the Packers? I mean, who else you besides Tampa Bay can you envision going back to the Super Bowl from the NFC? Well, I'm running out of years <laughs> where I could say that the Packers and the Saints have got to get it together, and, and this might be their year. You know, you wonder, Saints, if they're going to be taking a whole new look without Breeze around. And Rodgers, you're hearing conflicting reports whether he wants to be there. Um, and, and those two defenses, unlike Tampa Bay, they're always a little shaky in big games. So uh, right now, Chris, yeah, Tampa Bay's got to be the team where you you got to say, if they keep that defense anywhere the way it is, um, but the NFL is all about staying healthy, uh, guys. I mean, as you know, Kansas City, when you look back, I mean, their two tackles were not well. I don't think Mahomes was well. I mean, you can't go into a game against a very good team like that. So it's a long season. Anything can happen. And even at Tampa Bay, I mean, to, for them to stay healthy all year with um, without any key, missing any key players in a big game, uh, they did it this year. Next year, that's going to be very hard to do. So, again, uh, it's exciting about the NFL now. It's a kind of a crapshoot every year now. Tony, getting back to what you said earlier on, and it's something Bob and I talked about at the top of the show, and we've been talking about it for a long time. The, the old recipe back in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, probably even into the 80s, um, the way you won championships was run the ball, play great defense. What we saw from Tampa Bay, right? Brady, Brady did well. I mean, but he only threw for just over 200 yards. So it yeah, wasn't like yeah, he lit up yeah. the scoreboard, but they ran the ball well. Both Jones and Fournette had good nights. And to your point about the defense was outstanding. It just, I, I don't buy into, and, and you know, from watching my Steelers, right? I mean, Ben Roethlisberger slinging it around 65 times. I don't believe that wins Super Bowls. I still believe the recipe to win <laughs> is just what we saw from Tampa Bay. Good play, quarterback play. They're not turning the ball over. I'm not saying being a game manager, but good play. You don't turn the ball over. You run the ball really well, and you play good defense. That, to me, still wins uh, championships. I'm, I'm right with you on that, Chris, without a doubt. You know, you know, you can get through some games during the season when you throw the ball 55 times and you know, pull out in the end, but to win a championship, you gotta have those three things. You gotta be able to run the ball. And, 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 and when I say run the ball, when you're running the ball, you're actually controlling the clock at the same time. And when you could, when you run the ball and control the clock, that's something that's gonna take away from the other team's offense. Cause now you're keeping Mahomes off the field. The best thing, the best way to beat Mahomes is not for him to be on the field. And that's what they did. And even when he was on the field, the defense, that's the second thing. This is the other thing. The defense wins championships. Mahomes made some, I don't know, I know you watched the game. He threw some yep. passes where I'm, I'm, he's falling down on the ground. He, he's going to be falling down. And it hits the guys right in the helmet and they drop, right. It. They drop the pass. <laughs> this, 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 Kid is unbelievable. 
Kansas City will be back again. And I, I'm not surprised to see to see the same Super Bowl again if, if everything goes intact. Because, you know, with, with everything going on, with injuries and different things like that, never know what's going to happen. But if everything case, stays intact the way they are right now, there's no question about it in my mind. KC and Tampa Bay will be back in the Super Bowl again. I can't see if no other team getting better than them that they are right now. Yeah, and I think you're 100% right, Tony. Bob, I mean, what what are your thoughts? I mean, to me, if Kansas City, you know, gets their tackles, they're obviously going to be healthy. And, again, we never know training camps, what happens to people and all that sort of stuff. But you assume that the tackles are going to be healthy and back. You know, we we as you pointed out at the top of the show, Pat Mahomes just had, you know, had the turf toe, just had the surgery. You, you assume that that toe is going to heal and everything is going to be fine. Though turf toe is what took out my man Jack Lambert back in the day, but obviously that was a long time ago. But healthy, you know, those guys get healthy. I I just got to imagine Tony spot on that we're looking at these two teams all over again a year from now. You can't argue with that, Chris. Uh, again, if they keep those offenses together, I mean, Kansas City's got to shore up the defense. As I told you before, I thought they were an average defense, and you. You, even with a great offense, you gotta have in a big game. You're gonna need those stops when you. And obviously, the Packers and the Saints have found out that the hard way ad nauseum the last ten years. They really have. So I know Kansas City. Uh, they're they're ran they're run well as far as uh, administrative wise. So they'll fix up the defense. Bagnolo may get a few more parts there, but yeah, you don't touch that offense. You just hope that they're healthy next season, and they will be the favorite and probably a runaway favorite. Tony, one more before we let you go. We've got our next guest, Lee Flowers, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Lee in just a moment. Um, but you know what it's like to get on that airplane after a, a Super Bowl loss and uh, have to go back home. I just, you know, uh, and you've talked about it in the past, but for, for those that haven't been a part of the show when you've talked about it, uh, remind us, what was that plane, li- uh, plane ride like back to Boston? And what kind of reception did you guys get when you landed? You know, it, we were, we were. It was a sad plane ride, but when we got back, you know, there's I don't know how many fans at the uh, airport waiting for us, and just that seeing the fans supporting us, um, even though we lost the game, seeing them there it, it just made a big difference for us. Seeing how thankful our fans were, but it, you know, it's you know, you you get to a game that you dream about when you're four years old, five years old, six years old, playing in the Super Bowl, and you get to that game. But but when you dream about it, you dream that you always win. <laughs> but right. when you lose, it, it, it's it's uh, yeah, it's very disappointing. But at the same time, you, you got to understand, and seeing those fans come to the airport when we got home that, uh, that night, it was something special for me. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was for everybody else. But it was special for me to see them support us and, and be behind us the way they were, because uh, nobody even expected us to go to the Super Bowl at all. So it was, it was, a, it was a great ride, though. Tony, before we let you go, remind our listeners one more time how they can uh, stay up to date with you, and then uh, the great things you do helping kids go to college. TonyCollinsFoundation.org. Uh, just hit me on that, and I'll get get back back with you. <laughs> 
Tony, always a huge privilege having you as part of the show, and that's no different than it's been this season and, and the, the last several that you've been a part of it week in and week out. We can't thank you enough for how much fun you make this segment every week. I'm already looking forward to next season. I may get a sliver of the trophy this year. I want the whole damn thing next year. Hey, 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 Chris. Hey, 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 Bob, listen to this. Chris, I want my trophy, man. <laughs> he wants the whole thing. I want my trophy, man. This is my trophy, man. I'm going to send you a trophy cut in half. I'll send you the top half. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> Tony, you're the best, my friend. Stay safe. Absolutely. We'll be in touch. Take care, guys. See you, Tony. That's a great Tony Collins. We've got our next guest, Lee Flowers, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Lee on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday Night Tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. Before we get to our next guest, Lee Flowers, we want to give a shout out to our good friend, Don Stargell Moore, daughter of my childhood hero, Willie Stargell. Donna owns a consulting company called More to Life, and that's a number two, More to Life Consultants. It's a premier executive career and leadership coaching firm with over 20 years of leadership experience. Their goal is to work with companies that desire organizational change, accountability, and authenticity, which promotes high levels of employee engagement, and they also support individuals seeking to grow personally and professionally. Remember, folks, life changes in the blink of an eye, so live your best life on purpose. You can contact More to Life Consultants at m2lifeconsultants.com, and that's M, the number two, lifeconsultants.com, or give them a call at 855-888-2840. That's 855-888-2840. All right, now joining us here on Thursday Night Tailgate and making his TNT debut is Lee Flowers. Let me give you some background on Lee. He's from Columbia, South Carolina, played his college ball at Georgia Tech from 1991 to 1994, helped them win the Aloha Bowl his freshman year. He was drafted in the fifth round in 1995 by my Pittsburgh Steelers, played in the league from 95 to 2003, mostly in Pittsburgh, spent some time with the Broncos in 2003. Over the course of his career, he had 403 tackles. He forced eight fumbles and had four interceptions. And we're very excited to have him with us tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Lee, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, hey, guys, how you doing? Ah, oh, we're fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Just uh, glad to uh, be alive this day and age. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Lee, I want to start our time with you tonight by going back to your playing days at Georgia Tech. You're a a talented kid coming out of uh, the state of South Carolina. I have to imagine there were a lot of schools trying to recruit you. How did Georgia Tech get you to go there? Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I uh, I think you know back then you had to make five choices. Um, you know, my five was uh, Penn State, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Clemson, and then Georgia Tech. Um, I took a uh, visit to Penn State. And there's some irony behind it. So I took a visit to Penn State, and once we got off the plane, it was like 10 inches of snow. I was like, no, that's that's out. So um, <laughs> then I went to, you know, I went to a couple other schools, and Clemson really was my top choice. But at that time, 
Danny Ford, uh, he left the school. So, uh, you know, when I got to Georgia Tech, it just was a, you know, a family atmosphere. And, you know, obviously they just won the national championship and um, great city. I fell in love with the city and, uh, you know, you, you can't beat the city. So, you know, we're still here now. So, uh, you know, I've been, I've been in Georgia, been in Atlanta since 91. So um, it's just been a great place. And I, I love the school. I love the, you know, I loved Bobby Ross and, uh, you know, I just loved all the coaches and, and it just was a very friendly atmosphere, family oriented atmosphere. And, um, yeah, I, ha- I have nothing bad to say about Georgia Tech at all. And Lee, you mentioned Bobby Ross and, you know, your freshman year, you guys go eight and five, you win the Aloha Bowl. Uh, Bobby Ross is the coach and then, then he leaves the program to go become the head coach, uh, for the Chargers. Was that, was that hard for you? Was that disappointing or did you see it coming? Um, actually, I didn't see it coming because I, I think, you know, we heard the rumor, you know, anytime you win a national championship, you know, especially back then, um, you know, coaches were, coaches were very hard to find. So every time, anytime a coach won something that was significant as a national championship, NFL was, you know, knocking on the door. So we heard the rumor, um, you know, Bobby Ross told, you know, my parents and I that, you know, he was going to stay, um, and, you know, when we got there. Um, we, we had a decent season. I, you know, I was hoping that we were going to have a better season. Then he, you know, he went off to uh, San Diego. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't terribly disappointed, you know, because I, I was hoping that we was going to get a coach that, you know, after Bobby Ross left, that was going, you know, put the fire back into us. And, you know, obviously things, you know, went a different route. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it, you know, it was part of business. I mean, I think, you know, looking back on it now, I'm at, I'm at 48 right now. Looking back on it now, I know it was business. You know, he, Bobby Ross had to do what it, what was best for his family. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, you, know you got to keep moving. You just got to keep moving. And, you know, as a student athlete, you don't have time to sit around and pout and, uh, you know, worry about what's, you know, what's going to come next. You just got to keep working out and, keep your head in your books and uh, just keep things positive and uh, move on to for, for the next coach. And when you played with a, another great friend of the show, Marco Coleman there at Georgia Tech, what do you remember playing uh, alongside Marco? Whoa, I tell you. So when I, when I got to school, well, first when I got to, uh, when I came down here to my official visit, which is Atlanta, when I came to my official visit, uh, Marco and uh, Willie Clay, Willie Clay was my host. And Marco was, you know, they were good friends. And, you know, coming from high school, especially, you know, from South Carolina or Columbia, you know, you did, you saw athletes, you know, but, you know, you didn't really see the prototypical athlete. You know, when I saw Marco Coleman, I was like, my goodness, this guy is, you know, he, to me at that time, he looked like he was built out of marble. And, you know, he was a, you know, a workhorse. He was very professional and, um, you know, he helped a lot of, you know, freshman guys out because, you know, everybody had that kind of, you know, Marco was, to me, he was, you know, he was All-American. You always heard about the stories about All-Americans and standoffish and um, didn't want anybody to, you know, walk up to him and speak to him and whatnot like that. But Marco was very friendly. He was uh, a very good guy, very humble guy, actually. Uh, Marco and I, we're still friends today. Uh, So he was a, he was a great athlete. You know, I think, I, you know, I looked up to him and, you know, as a athlete, you try to take bits and pieces from, 
all other athletes that you meet in your life and just try to incorporate that into your your livelihood, into your game. And Marco was one of those guys, and um, he still has a special place in my heart. And, you know, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, Marco was just uh, – he was just a good human being. And I think, you know, that's what we're missing more now <laughs> in the NFL is just good people. You know, I think so many people are worried about their brand and worry about, you know, this, you know, they TikTok and all this other social media stuff. You know, back then, you know, you was just worrying about, you know, getting the getting the, the plays called, getting the plays on the field and, you know, just being a good person. And he was definitely that. Bob, questions for Lee? Now, Lee, it's a pleasure to speak with you. And, and I want to uh, give a chance for you to give a shout out to your high school back in South Carolina because I was looking at Spring Valley and noticed that there were six uh, NFL players that came from there, including the Bowlwares and uh, yourself, Willie Williams, and current wide receiver Andre Roberts came out of there. Talk about South Carolina high school football in general, Lee. I mean, we, we think of high school football, we think of Bama, Texas, LSU, things like that, but uh, Columbia, that must have been a hotbed back in the time. They have some great defensive players coming out of there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, Back then, it was, you know, we had so many great coaches back then. Um, you know, our coach at the time was um, Coach Jerry Brown. And, um, you know, I played with, you know, I played with the boat where I saw Michael Bow where, you know, he was a, he was a, uh, you know, he was a little kid when running around the yard when I was playing with um, um, Peter Bow where. So uh, we had a lot of talent. You know, we had Willie Williams and the irony behind Willie Williams. His sister is my fiance now, so it's just funny wow. how things. Wow. <laughs> funny how things work out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but we had we had a great coach, and he put in the work ethic on us that, you know, you you earn everything that you get, and you know we, I mean we was I think we was probably one of the first programs at Spring Valley that had a, a workout regimen. You know, we go to the weight rooms on, um, on our days off, and we had a beautiful weight weight room. My weight room overlooked. Perry Perron Stadium, and um, it was just a good atmosphere. But you know, without with all of that being said, you know, our school wouldn't have been that good if it wasn't for the parents in the community. I think you know, we our school was you know most schools, I'm sure most high schools are in side neighborhoods, but our our community was so focused on um, keeping the players focused. You know, going to um, at you know before games go to a person's house and eat dinner. Um, you know, it's just very family-oriented. Yeah, I know that's the theme tonight for me, but, you know, that's just, just who I am. But, you know, we had some great players. I mean, you know, Willie Williams, uh, Peter Bowler, Michael Bowler, you know, a, a name that you didn't mention was, I think he was the first one from us, was uh, Tyrone Legret. He played for Nebraska and then went to uh, New Orleans. Right. So, um, you know, we had, a, we had a lot of guys. And I think once once we saw one guy, go to the pros, it was a contagious atmosphere and everybody was, you know, trying to do their best. You know, you, we all, we always took our steps. You know, obviously you got to get to college first, you got to graduate college first and then, you know, get to the NFL. Then you got to, you know, do your, your, your due diligence in the NFL as well. But um, we, it was a contagious atmosphere. And I think, I, I think our school has to be the only school in South Carolina that had that many players in, I think was 10 year, maybe 15 years fan. And, uh, you know, we attribute that to, you know, the community and, uh, coach Brown, uh, you know, we, we, we just had a, 
great community, man. You know, the weight program, we first, you know, team to do that. And then, you know, we had speed workouts and stuff. So we was uh, ahead of the game before a lot of these other schools started doing it. Now you got, you know, population growing so much. Barnes High School, where I think um, uh, the kid, the receiver for um, from Cincinnati Green, he he went to Barnes High School. So um, you got a you got a lot of talent coming out of South Carolina. You know we we's being very very underestimated right now. And Lee, we've had a theme over the last few weeks. We've been asking a lot of defensive players about uh, tackling or the lack of tackling in the NFL. Now it's become a collision contact hitting game, and it seems like fundamentals has taken a left turn somewhere and, and guys have been very critical about it as far as uh, not wrapping up and, and see guys just bounce off guys and run for another 10 yards. Want to get what you see uh, happening in the NFL and is it ever going to get back to fundamentals? Um, You know what? It, it's so funny because I, I sit on the couch and, you know, we look at the football games on the weekend and, you know, my fiance, you know, she, she always yelling at me like, you know, you can't control the game. And I'm like, you know, these guys are not wrapping up. They're not lowering their head. They're not, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I talked to Brinson Buckley. He played for us in, um, at Pittsburgh, and he's a coach out in uh, Arizona now. And he said when he first got out there, a lot of these guys wasn't taught how to tackle. I mean, and that was coming from the college level. So um, I just don't understand, you know, what's going on with the, the lack of fundamentals. I mean, you look at the – the average yard is something. Well, just look at the score. Look at the scores of, of these games. Now. I mean, when we were playing, we were playing a high-score game for us was, you know, 15 to 9. That was a high-score game. And now it's, you know, if you don't score over 25 points, you know, you're going to lose the game for nine times out of ten. So I just think right now these guys are, you know, not focused on, um, you know, being physical and, and taking, you know, putting your will down on these players on the offensive players and, and tackling and making a short tackle and wrapping up. I mean, like, like you just uh, alluded to these guys, you know, you come in and they bounce off and you give this running back all this credit, you know, think about it. You know, I, I, I think about uh, Derek Henry. We have, we have about what, five Derek Henry's when I was playing, you know, we had Eddie George, Corey Dillon, you know, you go down the list of big running backs, but we took them down because we knew how to tackle. Yeah, you know, I, I think some of these guys are just fundamentally, and then I think they don't want to tackle. You know, we had a, a coach in Pittsburgh, uh, Coach Mitch. He always said you got to have the want to, and I never understood what that meant when he first told me that my rookie year. But the want to is you got to want to do it. If you want to do it, then you'll make your mind up and you'll uh, practice and you'll try to do it. And I just a lot of this stuff is, you know, they're not being taught the fundamentals, and then I think they're not wanting to to really get dirty. You know, these guys are, are you know, they, 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 they're pretty boys now, you know, so you still could be pretty and, and, and take down Derrick Henry. So, um, you know, I think we're going to get back to it, uh, you know, because the, the yardage right now is, is, is astronomical right now. I mean, these guys are running, you know, how, how can you run 200 yards a game every week? And I'm talking about Derrick Henry. And it's just, it's just bananas. But, uh, I think we're going to get back to it, and these guys understand because, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tony before me said, you know, defense win championships, and you got to start uh, winning championships. Lee, speaking about winning championships, I mean, you get drafted in the fifth round by 
the Steelers in 95, a team that would ultimately go to the Super Bowl. They're coming off an AFC championship game the year before. And now you're, you know, in a defense with, you know, guys like Greg Lloyd, LeVon Kirkland, Chad Brown, Kevin Green, Rod Woodson. We could go on and on. You mentioned Willie Williams. Randy Fuller's a great friend of the show. Darren Perry back there. Um, talk about showing up to your first training camp and trying to uh, make a name for yourself when you've got all those guys on defense. Oh, I tell you what. <laughs> oh, I, so the first, my first training camp, I, I remember when I got drafted. We got drafted and, you know, I don't know how things work now, but back then you got drafted on that first weekend and then the next weekend you had to go to training camp. And so when I got to training camp, you know, we were uh, – a lot of the veterans weren't there, but a couple couple guys were there. And uh, so, you know, I'm trying to make an impression. And, you know, and my nerves was bad and, and whatnot. And mind you, I played corner my whole career, at you know, from high school – all the way up to uh, college. And then when I got to Pittsburgh, they immediately switched me to safety. So then that was a learning curve for me. But uh, once we got there, um, you know, I had the jitters and stuff. And Rod Wilson came in to work out. And we were working out. And he came over to me and he said, look, Wookie, all you got to do is just learn the playbook and keep your head down and, ironically, learn how to tackle. And he said, you'll be fine because safety's in Steelers' defense. We got the tackle. So um, he told me that, and I, I, I was comfortable. And, you know, obviously I didn't get my shot for probably about three years after that. But uh, once he told me that, it, it was it was smooth sailing because I think, you know, again, uh, Pittsburgh, you know, you know the Rooneys, they, they were very family-oriented. And, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, Greg Lord, Kevin Green, uh, uh, Damani Dawson, you know, they were very friendly to me, and uh, I have nothing but love for that organization. I have nothing but love for everybody, every player that I ever met in that organization. And, you know, to speak of that, you know, talk about Alan Fanta, he just got inducted into the Hall of Fame. We were, I'm telling you, the Hall of Fame, well, they're going to have to make a whole new building just for the Steelers. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was good. I, I, uh, I think, you know, it made me in the player that I am that I was then and the person that I am today. So nothing but love, nothing but love. And Lee, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, if I remember this correctly, but I believe Chad Scott got injured, uh, one of the Steelers cornerbacks, and Carnell Lake was moved down to take his spot, which opened up the opportunity for you to get into the starting lineup. Is, is that right? And, and if so, how did you earn Cowers' respect uh, to become a starter? Well, you are absolutely right. And it's so funny because, you know, Chad, Scott, and I, we were, uh, we were, uh, death mates. So, you know, let me give you a little breakdown. So when we were in the meeting room watching film, you had two people at the table and Chad Scott was my, my, uh, table mate. So I, I, I used to tell Chad every day, I said, you know, I know, you know, I hate that you had, you know, you got hurt and you, you know, blew your knee out and all this stuff stuff, but, save my life because that gave me an opportunity and I think the opportunity enrolled with Coach Coward. I'm going to be honest with you, Coach Coward and I, we're, we're friends now. I just spoke with him a couple of days ago um, but Coach Coward didn't trust me because I was you know, and, you know, there was rumors of me going out and I was uh, you know, I was a young man, a young you know, a young man from Atlanta and you know, I liked the party but 
one thing I knew how to do, I knew how to take my business on the field and take care of my business on the field. And um, I remember uh, Coach Carr calling me in the off season and saying when uh, Chad got hurt and then they moved Cordell to uh, corner, he said that, you know, they, they were going to give me a shot and, um, you know, it was up to me. So that, that following, that following summer, we played Tampa Bay and uh, ironically, we played Tampa Bay which was my first game, we played Tampa Bay in the Hall of Fame game. And I had like, I think I had like 10 tackles, a sack, and that was all in three quarters. So when I came to the sideline, Coach Kyra told me, he said, you know, if you just keep doing that, you're you going to earn this job. And um, after that, you know, it was, you know, I was a captain for a couple of years and, uh, you know, Coach Kyra and I, you know, we're good friends now. So, you know, I think if, if any young guys are listening right now, you know, always be prepared to have the opportunity. But when you get the opportunity, you better grab the bull by the horns and, you know, and break his neck. So, because you're only going to get one chance in the NFL. You only get one chance. And, you know, fortunate enough, things worked out. And, uh, you know, here we are now. I think Greg Lloyd is a, another great friend of the show. And Greg's passion for the game and tell it like it is style at, is at such a high level. And, I read an article that you credited Greg for your passion for playing the game. Talk about his influence and your relationship with him. Well, you know, when I when I saw Greg, I remember when we played uh, we played Cleveland Brown at home in Three Rivers, and I think that particular game, Greg had like three sacks or four sacks on Eric Zaire. Only only reason I remember Eric Zaire because he was from Georgia, and I went to Georgia Tech, so. Um, he had like three sacks on him, and um, I ran out on the field after one of the turnovers from the sack, and I bowed down to him because I was like, I've never seen a person that ferocious. And I mean, Greg was just a technician. I mean, if you ever seen him rush, rush the, the the tackles and stuff, or rush the ends or tight ends or whatever, he knew everything that they were going to do before they did it. And um, you know, he just was a, 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 a ferocious guy. Now. I mean, I remember one time we were in the training room and we lost the game and Greg was so upset that he broke the um, training room door. And, you know, I thought it was kind of overboard, but I was like, okay, he, he loves his game this much. So that's when I started realizing that, you know, these guys right here, they're not playing around. And um, I definitely credit that because I, I felt like, you know, if you can get that kind of passion from every player on the team, 53 guys, then nothing will hold you back. And, you know, I definitely, you know, Greg lives, actually he lives up the street. We live in, we live in uh, Hampton, Georgia. He lives in Fayetteville. So that's, you know, next county over. But um, I've seen him a couple of times at the grocery store and he's still the same Greg. He's still with the deep voice and he's still doing the karate and stuff. So um, Greg was a good guy. And, I, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, looking at him, you know, on camera and hearing the stories that he was, a hard-nosed guy, he was, but he loved, you know, if you wore that black and gold, he loved you. And, um, you know, I definitely give a lot of credit to him, LeVar Kirkland, you know, all the guys, you guys, his name, Dan Perry, Rod Woodson. I mean, played with so many guys, man. It was just, um, it was just very family. We were all brothers. And uh, Greg was just another brother that, you know, installed something in me that, that, that made my career a little bit better than what people expected. Lee, you talk about, you know, tackles and you had a reputation for being a big hitter. I, I think 
you know, we as Steeler fans saw that when you first came onto the team as a special teams player, um, you had over 100 tackles in 98. Talk about, you know, your style and how you developed your style of play. Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, we alluded to it earlier, you, you have to want to. You have to want to tackle. You know, you have to want to get physical. I mean, football is a physical sport. You have to want to, you know, <laughs> you're going to get, you know, making those tackles probably hurt me just as much as, as it hurt their opponent. But at the end of the day, I got him down on the ground, and that's why you lift weights. That's why you run. That's why you keep your body in shape so you can make those big tackles because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Coach Kyle always said that, you know, you're going to have guys that's physically better than you, but you can impose your will on them, and they'll start thinking about the next game or thinking about the weather or start thinking about, oh, you know, my wife cooked a steak for me at home tonight, so let, let me get out of this game. And I think that's what we did. We imposed our will, and um, my whole thing was, you know, I, some guys were probably faster than me, probably bigger than me, but nobody had bigger heart, and I wasn't scared of anything. And I, I think at the end of the day, you know, if it was me versus a 300-pound man, how many times are you going to allow me to keep punching you in your face? And, you know, that that's the way I thought. That's the way I played. But after the game, we all could go out, have dinner, and, and celebrate or whatever. But, but between that whistle, you know, I didn't like you. I didn't want you to, to, to beat me. And uh, um, that's the mentality you had to have. Because if you didn't have any other mentality, as far as I'm concerned, that's how you got hurt. So I had to go out there and just stay focused and just, you know, and I love football. I love to practice. I love to get better. You know, I tell my son that all the time. He plays soccer at Georgia Southern. I tell you, look, man, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So, you know, that was my whole thing. You know, every practice, did I get better today? You know, every tackle, did I tackle this guy the right way? Did I put myself in a position to get hurt or did I put myself in a position to hurt him? So, um, you know, that was just my mentality. I mean, I know it's, it probably sound kind of cool, you know, especially this day and age, but it's football. <laughs> you know, it's football. We got to get back to, you know, that type of plan. And and if, if not, then I'm telling you, before if they don't get back to that type of plan, we're going to see a, a, a game where they score 90 points. And you see it coming already. Bob, more for Lee. Yeah, Lee, I think 95% of the ex-players we speak to uh, they all, they're all in agreement that playing multiple sto- sports back in their youth days, uh, helped them be a better NFL player. Was that the case with you? And, uh, you said your son is a soccer player, et cetera. Do you need that, uh, kind of well-rounded approach to be a good NFL player? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I think right now, you know, you, this new age guys, they're, you know, they're doing the, the whole one sport thing and trying to train just for that one sport. But you, you know, you still got to let a child be a child. You still have to let a kid be a kid. And a, a, a kid doesn't know what they really want to do. So you got to let them play all kinds of sports. You know, when I was uh, in high school, I played, I played basketball my, fr- my freshman year. I don't know why I keep going to my freshman year. And uh, I was horrible. And uh, my agent, he, my agent, tell me you like the first black guy that can't play basketball. So I'm like, well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't meant for me to play basketball. So, uh, 
but I ran track. You know, I was a state uh, state champion in long jump and uh, state champion in four by one. So um, you definitely got to do all sports to me because I, I think that allows you to see what sport that you really love and what you're good at. And then, you know, if you love the sport so much, then you stick with that sport. But, you know, you see these new age kids now, they, they, you know, they get these trainers at nine years old that, you know, going to, you know, going to these specialty camps in Texas and LA and these speed camps at, at nine and 10 years old. And then when they get, you know, when they get into high school, they done burned out. They don't want to play football because, they, they, you know, they play in lacrosse. I mean, lacrosse is a big sport now. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think kids need to play multiple sports because you never know what, you know, what God has for you to, to play. So, oh, yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with that. I, I never forced anything on my child, you know, my children. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever they wanted to play, I was like, look, if you're going to play this, you're going to play the whole season and you're going to give it 110%. And, after that, then we'll talk about, you know, move on to the next thing. And finally, Lee, you talked about the brotherhood in Pittsburgh and uh, to leave the game uh, at about the age of 30. You know, you spent eight years in the league. That's more than the average player does. Uh, and having played in college and high school, you played the game half of your life. And then by the age of 30, you're done. I mean, how was it for you adjusting civilian life was it a tough adjustment period for you well I, I think the biggest adjustment period to be honest with you and you know probably a lot of people gonna cringe when i say this but it's um the marriage aspect because i think you know your your wife i was married i got married uh, probably got married probably uh three years before i retired but i was with her the whole time so mm-hmm. you know that 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 aspect is really hard because she's been doing her whole thing, keeping care of the house, taking care of the house, taking care of, you know, the finances at that particular house. And then when you retire, you come on and you, you, you want that same structure that you had at what whatever NFL team that you was playing for. And then, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's tough. It's tough. But the marriage part to me was the biggest thing that I couldn't, uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. It, it, it took a, a lot for me to get hope to that because it was like every day that, you know, uh, I got to see the same. Yeah, I, I don't want to make this. <laughs> I have to see the same person every day. When I was in Pittsburgh, I got to see, you know, 52 other guys every day. You know, when I, when I, when I was, you know, retired, I had to see the same person every day. And it was just, oh, my God, it was, it was killing me. So um, I think that was the biggest thing for me. Uh, financially, I was already – pretty good with that because I knew what I wanted to do, you know, once I stopped playing. So, but just, you know, being at home and, you know, the kids running around the house 24 seven and, um, and I had, you know, my, my son, my kids was kind of, you know, they was jumping off the walls and I was like, my goodness, you know, I just, that was tough for me. So I think the biggest thing is just trying to get some kind of normalcy because you never had it, you know, when, you know, people outside of football, you know, they, nine to five jobs, they come back home and, you know, they, they own the schedule. And, you know, we never had a schedule uh, because most, you know, I think most players back then, most players, you know, they had a home in whatever state that they played in and then the home that where they lived at. And it was just tough on me on that part. But, um, you know, looking back on it now, it's probably definitely some things that, 
you know, I think guys could have done differently that I could have done differently. But, um, you know, to me, it's just trying to get the, the dynamics down of um, being at home and being that, you know, that, that, that 24 hour, you know, father and husband and all that stuff. So, um, you know, that, that, that's, you know, my opinion. I probably wouldn't answer you guys were looking for, I'm sure. <laughs> that's a good one. Lee, uh, a couple more before we let you go. Um, obviously, we're on the heels uh, of the Super Bowl. You had an opportunity your rookie year to go and, and play in the Super Bowl. Uh, as a Steeler fan, Super Bowl 30 re- remains my most painful memory because of what happened and, and how the, how you guys lost that game. Um, but uh, just want your reflection. 25 years ago, um, has it healed? Or is it still bother you? What What are your thoughts? Oh, no, 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 no. That's, uh, that's, I tell you, uh, I think Tony said it best. You know, when you, when you as a child, you always think about going to the highest game. And, you know, right now, that's the highest game is, is, is the Super Bowl. And you don't ever picture yourself losing. And hardest part for us, though, we were winning the game. We were winning the game. I mean, literally, we were winning the game. Me and, Dante Jones, we were standing on the sideline, you know, because, you know, you get extra money for winning the game, and, you know, we were rookies, so, you know, we were already, you know, counting our our, 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 uh, our dollars about what we were going to do, and then first interception come, we was like, okay, you know, we got to overcome that. And then, you know, we came overcame that, and then the second interception came, okay, well, you know, we done lost this game, so um, every year, every year, and then you know how to I think it's ESPN or NFL Network. Yeah. That week, that week leading up to the Super Bowl, they play all the Super Bowls, and you know, I I, I try to find out when they're playing our Super Bowl, and I, I don't turn in, tune into it because it, it's it's very hurtful, man. I mean, I, I don't I don't understand. I don't think people understand. You put in all that work, you know, all that time. I mean, you're talking about 16 games, and then you know, I think at that time we played two playoff games. And, you know, you get to the biggest stage and then you win in the game for, what, two and a half quarters, maybe three quarters, and then you lose. And then you lose to Dallas. <laughs> you know, so it was, yes. it was, it was uh, yeah, so it, it was, it was, uh, you know, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a hurtful moment. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to put it in perspective. And I mean, you, you and the guys, you and I are talking right now in, you know, 2021, and there's a lot of, lot more things going on. But you know, just speaking about that Super Bowl, though, it, it was, uh, it was hurtful. But you got to keep moving because you got to try to prepare for the next year and try to get back to the Super Bowl. But you never know when you're gonna get back. And we never got back. We never got back. We never got back. I mean, the closest we came was uh, losing to, uh, to. Uh, Oh, we lost to Tennessee and then we lost to New England. So I mean, yeah, we we had we was a couple one games away, but yeah, that was um, painful. And you you think about it every, you know, every Super Bowl time the rest of your life. Lee, you had an opportunity to play for the Rooney family and uh, in front of Steeler Nation and and uh, as a as a member of Steeler Nation, I, I know how passionate we are about you guys and and the team. Um, and then we've heard an awful lot about how, how good the Rooney family is to play for, but 
wanted to get your perspective. What was it like for you playing in front of Steelers fans and playing for the Roonies? Oh, man, I tell you, uh, first game, our first game was uh, my my first game. My first game was uh, we played a preseason game at, at home. I think it was against uh, I think it was against Kansas City actually, and it was I I've never seen anything like it. I mean, we saw, you know, when you look up into the stands, and, you know, Three Rivers back then it was just a bowl, and you saw the the flags, and then they had you know I don't know if this was true or not, but they said they had springs in the seats because everybody was bouncing, and you know the the whole stadium looked like it was just bouncing up and down, and it. It, it was the most amazing thing that I've ever seen in my life, and um, I, I'll never forget it. But just playing for Steeler fans, you know, it, as passionate as I am about football, Steeler fans are just as passionate. And I think that was a perfect place for me to play. Um, you, at the top of the show, you guys said that, I, you know, I played, you know, I played uh, uh, went out to Denver. And those fans versus Steeler fans is totally two different things. Pittsburgh fans, they love and die for football and probably the greatest fans on earth, as far as I'm concerned. I know they're the greatest fans on earth because they they hold you accountable. If you play bad, they're going to tell you you play bad. If you play well, they're going to say you you couldn't play better. And um, it's the best place in the world for me. And the Rooney family, it was just, uh, again, you know, my wife at the time, my wife and I at the time got married, you know, a little, little courthouse wedding and whatnot. And, Mr. Rooney sent us a, a, a gift, and I was like, you know, no, how how did he even know, you know? But Mr. Rooney, you know, at that time, he, he, you know, they ran Pittsburgh, so um, they they were family, man. And you know, I know the, his wife just passed away, and she's with him now in heaven. So um, it, it was very family oriented, man. Uh, yeah, I just I, I, I'm just so thankful that I was able to go to an organization, a family organization, probably the best ran organization in all the business. And I said this one time when I was playing, you know, all these Fortune 500 companies need to take the model from the Rooney's. And I, I guarantee you, if they do that, you know, this world will be a better place. Bob, one more for Lee before we let him go. Yeah, Lee. I mean, again, we mentioned the eight-year career. We we talked throughout the show how uh, how tough the game the NFL is. And, you know, without getting too personal, just want to know how your body has held up over the years. Are you still able to stay in shape? Uh, I'm sure the the uh, the tackles you made and, and the games you played talk to you every morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, no, I actually, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing well. You know, I, I just turned 48 a month ago. So um, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. I uh, I still do. You know, I, I'm into the little CrossFit thing. Uh, so I, I just, you know, it, I tell guys this all the time. You know, if you lay around the house and you sit in bed or sit on the couch all day, that's the, you know, you're going to feel worse. So I, right. I get out and you know, I do my, uh, you know, I do my little Nike apps and all this stuff. I'm not trying to plug Nike. I don't know how y'all show work. But anyway, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I do do the little CrossFit stuff. And I just got to keep mo- moving. Because I think once you start being stationary, that's when you start realizing, oh, Oh, my knee, you know, that, that surgery that I had, you know, 10 years ago, my ankle, you know, my back, you know, all this other stuff. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, uh, I just ran a, uh, I ran a 5k, uh, a couple of years ago and I'd never do that again. 
take that. But other than that, uh, <laughs> good for you. Man. Good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I just can't. I can't do that distance. But I can. I still, you know, I, I talk to my son all the time. I said, if you, if you put some money, you put out a couple thousand on it. I, I give you a, I give you a good four or five right now. But I'm gonna be in traction for the next two days. But I, I run, I run for some money. Though. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I know some guys right now that's not doing well, and uh, yeah, um, you know, but that's that's part of the game. And you know, guess what? If I could do it all over again, I'd do it again and do it a hundred times harder. Lee, catch us up. What are you doing now? Um, actually, we are. I work with a conglomerate group right now. We uh, we recycle uh, um, paper boxes. Actually, and we. Uh, we distribute paper boxes, uh, cardboard boxes to um, grocery stores, you know, your Kroger's, your Target's, and then we recycle them as well. So it's, uh, it's been a lucrative uh, thing. It's just, you know, something to, you know, you have my kids a little good little uh, nest egg when they uh, get out of the house. Actually, my son just turned 21 today, so happy birthday, Lee oh. Flowers the Fourth. Yeah. So, Absolutely um, happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we are, we're doing well. We're doing well. Lee, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's going to follow you online or it's over social media? Um, my social media, you know, I don't let's see. I think it's Lee Flowers because it's, it's two of us. It's Lee Flowers the third, um, <laughs> whatever the Instagram thing is. I don't know. It's Lee Flowers the third on Instagram. So uh, we have a foundation called Care for One Foundation. Um, what we do with that is we give uniforms and shoes and equipment to schools, especially with this pandemic right now, with all the funding being cut, we try to uh, supplement those schools with uniforms and, uh, you know, the shoes and all this other stuff. So um, we're, we're doing well. So uh, Lee Flowers, the third on Instagram. So just do that. So, you know, I'm not up to that social media thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lee, we can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and, and coming and being a part of the show. We had a lot of fun. We certainly hope you'll come back and join us again sometime. Oh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. You guys have a great week. Thank right, you, Lee. the same. Take care. Stay Bye-bye. safe, Lee. Bye-bye. You too. That's a great Lee Flowers, Bob. You know, a guy that uh, earned his way onto the a, a great Steelers defense in, in 95 uh, and then certainly left his mark. Over 100 tackles in 98 and uh, – a heck of a special teams player on top of that uh, before making it into the starting lineup. But that was a lot of fun. He was a terrific guest, Chris. Uh, can't wait to have him on again. I mean, he's got a uh, got to love those guys, again, that play for one team their entire career. A uh, very humble man. Seems like he's very grounded. Uh, that was a lot of fun with him. And, of course, you know, he shares the uh, the same attitude as a lot of these other guys about the tackling isn't amazing it's right down the line any guy that's uh, been playing in the 90s it's a whole different game now guys don't tackle anymore it's hitting now yeah and we, you know we we sort of lamented that right for the last several weeks uh, you know between the the shoulder tackles and uh, the guys that are just sort of shy away from tackles anymore um it's mm-hmm. just not the same and uh, you know to what you know, you talk with Lee about and what well, we've talked with uh, some of our other guests about, you know, wrap up, right? That's uh, the frustrating thing is um, to me is to see a guy go in and uh, try to lay the boom with his shoulder. And like you pointed out, you know, the runner bounces off, 
and either gets another, you know, 10 yards of, uh, of yards after catch or, uh, just, you know, 10 more rushing yards. And, uh, you might have had the side, you know, the opportunity to stop them short of a first down. And the next thing you know, they bounce off and they get the first down. Boy, as a fan, that, uh, that drives me nuts. I'm sure it drives coaches nuts. But the thing you got to sure. wonder is where are these guys learning this thing? Why are they not being taught properly? And why are they not held accountable? Like Lee said, you got to hold people accountable. Why are you not holding them accountable to make those tackles? It's uh, it's really really amazing and, and to hear guys that are passionate like him and learn the right way, hoping that it, it might return to that way. But uh, it's again guys throwing bodies around, hoping that the force will take down running backs. It's, it's nothing to do with tackling anymore. All right, uh, when Bob and I come back, we'll be turning on our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive. Here, two more great stories about guys out there making. A big impact in their communities. We'll do it right on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday night tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. All right, we are back here on Thursday night tailgate, and we're turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who are you putting your spotlight on this week? I'm going to honor this week, Chris. It's a very interesting story. It's uh, defensive back Pierre Desir. I mean, this is a guy that started the season with the Jets this past season and then was uh, picked up by Baltimore toward the end of the year, Chris. And, and you know, his, his story is fascinating because he was born in Haiti uh, and uh, has been around. He's been a, the ultimate journeyman, if you will, in the NFL. I think he's played for five or six teams, including the Browns, Chargers, Colts, Jets, I think Ravens. I mean, he's been around. Um, has really had, you know, he's only played really one full season and played very well with Indy back in, 19, in, in 2018. So, I mean, but he's been around. But when he came to New York, Chris, he went right to the community relations department and asked the Jets, what can I do to help this community? I mean, that's the first thing he did when he arrived in New York. And uh, so that tells you what kind of dedication this guy has. And and through that, he's always been involved with a uh, an orga- organization called Samaritan's Feet. And uh, it's about, you know, it, it's an organization that distributes uh, pairs of shoes throughout uh, school systems, Chris, and to boys and girls clubs and shoes and socks. Um, and he's 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 very into that. Um, and he, you know, there's these organizations that do that, base other things around it as far as you know, being kind and anti-bullying. But it all starts with the uh, the shoes and shock shoes and socks being distributed to needy people. And uh, one of his quotes, and I was reading his article. And he tries to keep it in his family. He says, the most important thing for me is to try to show my kids how important it is to give back. My kids can be doctors. They can be teachers. They can be whatever they want. But I want them to be good people. It doesn't take much to be a good person. That comes from Pierre Pierre Desir. I mean, again, it's a great story, Chris. He became a father at a very young man. But he's, he's, he's picked it up since then. And uh, he's a guy that's really, really, wherever he's been, and he's been, now he's in Baltimore, but he's going to be very, very committed to this Samaritan's feet wherever he goes. And uh, so, I mean, it's a great organization. Again, go to NFL.com 
and you'll actually see him. They have a video of him, Chris, under the uh, the Walter Payton Man of the Year section. They have a video of him on a Zoom with kids uh, and him him talking about how important it is to give back. And uh, the Zoom on this Zoom that they play, he actually gives a thousand dollar scholarship to everyone that was watching the Zoom. So wow. uh, it'll bring tears to your eyes. But uh, yeah, Pierre Desir, uh who's now with the Ravens, Chris. He gets the nod this week. Yeah, absolutely. What a great story. I love that. Two things, right? First thing you do when you go to New York is how can I help? And then to uh, put that Zoom call together and give everyone on a $1,000 scholarship. That's fantastic stuff, Bob. Uh, Thank you for sharing that story. I'm going to cross sports and jump over to basketball tonight, Bob, and I'm going to put my spotlight on Vince Carter. Vince is officially launching the Vince Carter Scholarship and Mentorship Program up in Toronto. Uh, his program is going to provide scholarships in the amount of $25,000 per student. Now, his program is primarily targeting high school students who have a passion for sports, music, film, fashion, broadcasting, media, science, technology, engineering, or math. So, first of all, kudos for that. Um, the scholarship recipients are going to be able to attend top, calib- uh, top caliber private schools with several unique academic programs geared to helping gifted students become all they can be. Uh, for the program launch, the first high school to participate is going to be Jay Addison High School up in Markham. And their auxiliary programs that they're establishing for younger students, and those students are age 12 to 15, and they're going to include summer camps for kids interested, again, in those and those uh, areas we mentioned above, sports, fashion, film, music, leadership, those sorts of things. Scholarships are going to be available to students around the world that want to come there. And they're going to be entering, you know, those students have to be entering their junior or senior years uh, this coming September and each year then going forward. Key program components are going to be including specialized academic courses and internships specifically for these kids. Plus, they're going to be giving them work experience, including shadowing corporate board executives, Scholarship program is going to be geared, Bob, to help in the, in the greater Toronto area. Plus, you know, their post-secondary students that are going to be willing to attend York University, Seneca College, or Ryerson University. So those three schools are going to be the target places that uh, it gives out those $25,000 scholarships. So, Bob, uh, kudos to Vince Carter for the effort to provide scholarships and opportunities to kids who need the financial help. And then, you know, just for him, you know, promoting education. That's, that's so important. I know how important education is to you, Bob. You talk about it a lot with our guests. Certainly one of the most important, if not the most important thing that these guys do uh, is, you know, the education that they give and then uh, also giving back to the community, just like in the story that you said about Pierre Desir. But uh, kudos to Vince Carter, Bob. Bob, I just think it's uh, it's a tremendous thing he's doing. Tremendous story, Chris. And, and Carter, we think of Carter, we think of longevity in the NBA. He played forever, you know, decades. And, uh, but it, it's, it, it's so refreshing to, uh, to see a guy that to reap the benefits of the NBA who's giving it all back to a worthy place, uh, like he is. And, and, uh, that, that, you only could have a smile on your face when you think of how many people he's helping and will continue to do so. Uh, maybe staying around as long as he did. His name is out there and will ever, forever be out there. So kudos to him. He's doing great things and will con- continue to do so. Yeah, absolutely. So two more great stories, folks. There you have our spotlight on the positive. It is time for Bob and I to put a bow on this episode of Thursday Night Tailgate, folks. We want to send out our sincere thanks again 
to Leon Searcy, Tony Collins, and Lee Flowers for joining us tonight. And Bob, as always, thank you so much for sharing your Thursday nights with me, my friend. That was a great uh, show, Chris. And again, uh, to have a new guy like Lee join us, uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, let's do it again next week. Absolutely. All right, scheduled to join us next week is uh, our good friend and former LSU and Chicago Bears wide receiver Wendell Davis is going to be back, as will former Major League infielder Kurt Bavacqua. Always some great stories and some passion from Kurt, so looking forward to catching up with him. Another great friend of the show, former Steelers defensive back Randy Fuller, is uh, going to be back with us. Uh, plus another new uh, newcomer next week, uh, former 49ers, Vikings, and Rams uh, running back Amp Lee. He'll make his TNT debut with us. Looking forward to that. So really fun show next week, folks. We hope you'll come back and join us and be a part of it. On social media, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at CT Mascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lazari. And the show is at TNT Podcast. Uh, please check us out on Facebook. Both Bob and I have our own Facebook pages. Plus, uh, we've got one for the show. Uh, give us a like over there on Thursday Night Tailgate. We'd really appreciate it. Plus, check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. You're going to be able to see what our upcoming guest schedule looks like. Plus, we've got links uh, back to our page over on Podbean. So you can stream or download the show. Download the Podbean app. You can take us with you everywhere you go. If you've got another favorite podcasting app, well, guess what? We're probably on it. We're on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, TuneInPlayer.fm. We're all over the net. And, folks, please do us a favor. Go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for the show in their hot 50 list to get the show on the charts. And we certainly really appreciate your support. You can go on there when you vote for a podcast. You can actually vote for three. So some of the other great shows that are worth considering that we would appreciate you voting for our show over on the golf side next on the tee, uh, plus our good friend uh, Gus Farad and his uh, podcast, Huddle Up with Gus. Another great friend, Mitch Lawrence, has a great golf show. It's called Talking Golf Getaways. Jason Fearman and the guys over there on third and three podcast lock on Patriots with Mike Diabetti. And then our, our good friends, uh, Flieger and Briggs, they've got a great podcast called chaos and disorder. Bob, take us home, my friend. Okay, Chris, uh, look forward to next week and, uh, you have a great week. And we also want to thank our great announcer, Joe Lajanusa for the wonderful job he always does with our intro and ads. We also want to thank Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley band. For the upcoming outro music, on behalf of myself and Chris, we want to thank all the fans out there tonight for listening. We appreciate you the most. Until next week, good night, Kevin, good night, Terry, and good night, Rusty. We miss you guys.